Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's good seeing you today, and many are joining us online, and we're always thankful for your presence. Uh, we are in our third message on discipleship, and today I want to get to the heart of discipleship, what, what it really is all about. And so we're going to jump right in into Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at something that Jesus did. And out of this verse, this story, this event, we're going to capture the heart of what discipleship is all about. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's 31 of us that are leaving today to go to Israel, and uh, so in a couple of days, we're going to be walking on these shores of Galilee. That's always a cool thing, to walk where Jesus walked. And he said, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing net, a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called them out and said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. So they immediately responded and they followed him. A little further up the shore, they saw, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee and repairing their nets. And he called, uh, he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, what's really cool about that boat, um, many years ago, there were two brothers uh, who lived at the Sea of Galilee, and the sea was going into severe drought, so the water was very low at that time. And they saw some nails and realized, you know, these are, these are ancient nails. These are n- not new nails. And they began to see some digging around and saw some wood. And so they called the archaeologist department in from the government. And they discovered an actual boat that they've dated to the time of Jesus. And so they were able to recover that boat. It's now in a museum. And one of those brothers is actually a friend of mine. And so we'll go see that boat on this trip. And my friend always comes over and gives a private tour uh, to our group uh, on that boat. And I'm sitting there going, so we're seeing a boat just like the one, they actually call it the Jesus boat because it was from his time. But we're seeing a boat just like the ones these brothers were working on a a boat just like the one Jesus would have fallen asleep in during a raging storm, a boat just like the one that Jesus walked on water to and the disciples thought that he was a ghost, that kind of boat, just like that. And you know, when you see those kind of things and you realize, man, this is real. And, And so this is a real event that happened. Now, since Jesus was the Messiah, he was Lord, he had every right to call these men to come and follow him. Just like because he's Lord and because he's the Messiah and because he's the creator of the universe and we're his creation, he has a right to call us out to live differently. 
So Jesus called these fishermen to leave their profession, and he was going to show them the next level. He, he was going to disciple them, and he was going to show them and helping them to understand in their terminology, I'm going to show you how to catch something different, something of greater value, and that is the souls of people. And this calling that he gave them, it, it, it didn't come without a price. You know, they left their business, and there's a lot of evidence that maybe uh, Zebedee actually had a large fishing business, that he, he might have had many fishing boats under his domain. And uh, because in the discovery of the housing of uh, Peter and, uh, his, and the family, they, they said these, these were people of means. And so uh, they weren't leaving their one single boat. They were probably, probably leaving a fleet of boats, a family business that was very successful and fed a lot of people. And so Jesus called them away from that to, to something that is of eternal value. And that's what he's doing for us today. He, he is saying, hey, um, I'm calling you to something that lasts for eternity. So that's, that's where we're going to get to today as we study what God has to say. So let's look at what being a disciple really is all about. As a disciple, God has called us to minister, every single one of us. And there are three different ways that we minister, or three different directions of our ministry. The, one, the first one you probably hadn't thought about, but you're actually called to minister to God himself. And you wouldn't think that. You wouldn't think that, how, you know, how can I minister to him? Well, the Bible tells us a couple of things. You minister to God when you worship. It pleases him. You're ministering to him when you are singing songs of praise to him. That's when somebody tells me, they say, you know, I really don't like the music you use in your church. And my response is usually something like, I'm sorry, there must be some confusion that you didn't understand. The music's not about you. The music's not for you. The music's for God. That's who it's for. And we're worshiping him. We're ministering to him through our music. That's who it's for. That's who it's all about. You also minister to God, and you hadn't thought about this one probably, it's when you pray. So how does that minister to God? I mean, I thought God was there to answer my prayers. Well, here's how it ministers to God. When you pray, those prayers just don't go floating around. They go to a specific place. They go into the throne room of God's grace, God's presence, his very throne room. That's where that prayer goes. And the Bible tells us that there is this golden bowl that those prayers are put into. And that's where they stay. But something else happens. An angel takes a flame from the altar, a holy flame, God's flame, and he touches it to those prayers. 
Now, it doesn't consume those prayers in that they go away, but rather it releases a, an, a, an aroma that is very pleasing to holy God. It ministers to him. So you have an incredible privilege of ministering to God when you worship. Let that change your attitude about when you worship. I'm ministering to God. When you pray, you are ministering to God. So let your prayers be worthy, worthy of his presence. Because that's where, that's where those prayers go. And, you know, I tell you, I'll, I'll be honest. I've prayed some dumb prayers before. Um, one time I prayed, um, God, I really want to understand the things that break your heart. So it, show me the things that break your heart. Man, I wish I had taken that prayer back. Because I want to tell you, that was as God would reveal things. I, I couldn't handle the fullness of what breaks his heart. I could not handle the fullness of the idea of millions and billions of people being sent to hell because they rejected Jesus. I just couldn't handle that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another dumb prayer. Um, I was in college, and, and I just, I'd been dating a lot. When God called me into ministry, I thought my job was to find a good minister's wife. And so I would date girls thinking they might be a good minister's wife. Only problem is I didn't like any of them. And, um, you know, that, I thought that might be a criteria. So I just quit dating. I just stopped. And I told God this. I said, God, the next girl I kiss is the girl I'm going to marry. So you better make sure it's the right one. Well, that was dumb. And I became petrified. I mean, I wouldn't even kiss my mom at that point. I mean, I just like, I just like, I'm not, I'm staying away from, I'm just staying away from girls right now. I'm scared of this. And then I met Mary and we started dating and I didn't kiss her for a long time. And she thought something was wrong with me or her. I don't know, because I didn't tell her that deal I had with God either. And so finally I did tell her and she kind of sighed relief that, um, Anyway, so we're going back to Israel. This is a, you know, we, we went to Israel when we were in college and um, on a, it was a college retreat and trip. And we were on the Sea of Galilee on a boat. And this was the only time Mary's been there. So that was like 47 years ago, 48 years ago. So she's going back now for the first time since then. And uh, we were on the Sea of Galilee and I thought, this is so romantic. I need to propose to somebody. This would be, you know, <laughs> I got, and fortunately Mary was there. So that's where I asked her to marry me. And she said, hey, yeah, you got a ring? <laughs> I said, no. She said, get back with me when you get a ring. Though <laughs> so anyway, God kept his end of the deal and in my dumb praying. But your prayers... Your prayers minister to God. So make them worthy of ministering to him. That's how important it is to him. 
So God has called us to minister, to minister, and we ministered him. Secondly, we minister to other believers. In Hebrews 6, it says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him. So another way I minister to God is by caring for other believers as you still do. So I minister to God when I minister to other believers. So I am to minister to other Christ followers. I do that by praying for them. I do that by helping them. I do that by encouraging them. I do that by being a loyal friend. I do that by mentoring. Or I, There's unlimited ways that you can minister to other believers. So you stop and you think about it and say, you know, I need to always be looking for ways to minister to other believers because that pleases God and that also ministers to God. Then the third group that we minister to is unbelievers. So that pretty much covers everybody. The unbelievers. Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You bring flavor to the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? The answer is no. What good is it? None. It has none. There's nothing good about it. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So I'm to minister to unbelievers. My life is to be a flavoring to them that when they encounter me, that they see something is different, that there's a peace in me that they're not experiencing. I mean, when you encounter a non-believer, they should sense that something is different. And that is Jesus in you. Jesus should be so at home in you that when people are around you, they notice, you know what? This person just doesn't get rattled about things. This person has a peace about them. This person seems to have a reason for living. This person is always thinking about other people. You see, that's your flavoring coming out and you make people intrigued about what's different about you. And you'll be surprised at how often somebody will come up to a believer who's living it out and they'll say something like, you've got something I don't have. I want to know what that is. That's being salt. That's being a flavor that it impacts anybody around you. Now, there are different ways you minister to people. Here's a couple of them. Uh, we minister to people's physical needs. That's obvious. Here's what Jesus said about that. He said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your house. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the people respond, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty? Or a stranger? When have we ever seen that? And here's what Jesus said. When you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. Jesus wants you to minister to people's physical needs 
And he wants you to do it in such a way with such seriousness and sincereness that you're actually doing it to him. That's how he wants you to see it. So we have legitimate ministries that we do. We take care of people's physical needs. We support ministries that take care of people's physical needs uh, in our community, their hunger, uh, meet their food needs, their clothing needs. Matthew 10, it says, "And and if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you surely will be rewarded. You know, um, we want everybody to be in a discipleship group in our church, in a life group. We also want everybody to serve and to find your place of service. And, and there's no insignificant place to serve in God's, in God's kingdom. I mean, you may be a nursery worker, and you realize that when you change a baby's diaper, you're ministering to that child, you're ministering to the parents, and you're pleasing holy God. And God says, hey, just changing that diaper, I'm going to reward you for that. Even insignificant things, you know, there are a lot of volunteers that work behind the scenes. There's a crew that shows up way early just so you can have coffee when you come. And they're not paid to do that. That's their ministry. And you reap the benefit from that. And so they minister to you by hope, hopefully giving you a nice cup of coffee. And the Bible, if I read it right, is saying, I'm going to reward them for that. So when you are serving, you're receiving. When you serve and minister to other people, even if it's a simple physical need, and we know how much you need your coffee. When you're meeting a physical need, you're actually allowing God to bless you. So there's no simple, unimportant task of service. We also minister to people's emotional needs. People have lots of different types of emotional needs. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. So there's something in them that they need some encouragement. And sometimes we have to get kind of stern about that. Encourage those who are timid. So maybe what's going on emotionally in them that they need some help with that. Take tender care for those who are weak. Now, it doesn't specify what the weakness is, but there are emotional weaknesses as well as physical weaknesses. Be patient with everyone. So when I read a verse like that, basically I'm thinking, okay, we need to respond differently in different ways to different people based on their need. So we minister to people and try to meet their emotional needs. Whether it's a word of encouragement or sometimes a word of, aston- uh, um, of getting in their face. Say, hey, you got to get a handle on this. The third thing we do is we meet their physical needs, we meet their emotional needs, we also meet their spiritual needs. Second Corinthians and all of this is a gift from God we, who, who brought us back to himself through Christ. 
And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So that's a ministry of meeting the spiritual needs of people. Now, reconciliation is when you take two opposing parties and you bring them together and you resolve whatever the issue is. So when you became a believer, God is saying, okay, you now have a ministry of reconciling people back to me. So God wants you to minister to him and others' spiritual needs by helping people to be reconciled to God. That means you tell them how that can happen. I met with an individual not too long ago who's in a totally different faith background, but he wanted to know about Jesus. So I went through the plan of salvation and I shared with him, this is how a person can know Jesus. Here's how you can be reconciled to Jesus. Uh, The video you just saw um, of our two military guys, uh, Chuck is in my life group and Brad, um, they're both in our church. Brad, uh, Chuck's a colonel, Uh, Brad is a two-star general. Brad was in my youth group when I was in another city and uh, North Augusta. And so I met him in high school. I had the privilege of telling, of reconciling him to Jesus. And he prayed to receive Christ. And I gave him a Bible and I just wrote a note of encouragement in it. And, uh, and then several years back, I noticed Brad sitting in, the, sitting in the congregation. I went up to him right after church and said, hey, man, what's up? He said, well, I've been, I'm stationed here now. And so he's been a part of Gateway ever since. And, and, uh, and that, but that first Sunday, he says, I want to show you something. And he pulled out his Bible. He said, this is the Bible you gave me in high school. He said, I've been all over the world in the military, and I'm always telling people about Jesus. Wow. He really understood the ministry of reconciliation. And in the military, when the two-star general starts talking to you about Jesus, you're probably going to (laughs) listen. But wow, he, he got it. He realized, I have the ministry of reconciliation. And we're all called to that. So we meet people's physical needs. We meet their emotional needs. But most importantly, we meet their spiritual needs. The Bible says our job as Christians is to reconcile people back to him. So ministry needs to become a priority. So let's walk through some things. Here's why it needs to be a priority. Number one, you and I, were created for ministry. We really were. Ephesians 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So that's telling me I was created for ministry and so were you. Then we were actually saved for ministry. So I was created for it, designed for it, But then I was, part of my salvation is obviously to get my sins forgiven and to be able to go to heaven, but also to have my ministry. Second Timothy, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. That's one of the reasons why we have life groups is to teach us and train us in how to have that holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, because you don't. 
and not, uh, but because of his plan from the beginning, before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So you and I were saved in order to live a holy life, which implies ministry. Number three, you and I have been called for ministry. Second Peter, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, reconciliation. You can show others the goodness of God, living a holy life. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You were called out of darkness into God's living light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you receive God's mercy. Another way of saying it, once you were a nobody, and now you're a somebody. Your identity, get this, your identity, true identity is not found in whether you're a man or a woman. It's not found in your physical attributes. It's not found in your family heritage. Your real identity is found in who you are in Jesus Christ. That's your real identity. So it's not who I think I am that matters. It's not what you think who I am that matters. The only thing that really matters is who God says I am. That's what matters. And God says that my primary identification is that I belong to him. My primary identity is that I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. You know, I had my class reunion um, back at the first of the summer. And, um, you know, somebody, you know, they'll talk to me about the church and all this. And, and uh, but I've started changing my answer to some things. When they, when they say, well, how many ministers do you have in your church? And I, I start to say now, well, it's, it's somewhere over 1,500. What? You got 1,500 members? Yeah, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000, I'm not sure. And they're just staring at me. I said, yeah, because every believer in our church is a minister. We're all called to ministry. So yeah, we've got, we got that many ministers in our church. And every ministry is important. Your ministry makes a difference. And when you're not doing your ministry, the body suffers. I mean, if uh, I woke up in the morning and my liver said to me, hey, we're going to take a vacation for a couple of months, I would say, no, you're not. You cannot. Because my body will not live without my liver. Your liver my liver, you've got to do your job. We'll suffer if you're not. I mean, I won't live if you don't do your job. Well, sometimes that's what the way Christians act. They'll, they'll say, hey, I've done my bit for God. I'm going to take a break for a while. And they tend never to come back from that break. Uh, your your ministry is too vital in the kingdom work. 
Whether you think it's significant or not, God says it is significant. If he gave it to you, it's significant. If he wired you that way, it's significant. If he gave you the giftedness for that, it's significant. And every time a believer, every single believer who's not doing their ministry, there's a hole left from its absence. It does make a difference. Number four, you and I have been gifted for ministry. First Peter, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. If you're not using your spiritual gift, you're not serving each other, you're actually making a mockery of what God's done for you through the Holy Spirit. Number five, you and I have been authorized for ministry. Now, that's pretty cool. Second Corinthians. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making this appeal, his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. An ambassador... He represents royalty, or he represents the throne, or he represents the government. We have ambassadors all over the world from our government, and they speak for our government. They speak for our president. You speak for holy God. You're his ambassador. Isn't that amazing? You speak for God. That's why you got to know the Bible, because you don't want to speak on your own words. You want to speak the words of God. That's why you have the gift of, of ministry of reconciliation, because you're trying to bring people back to God to speak on his behalf. You're his ambassador here on earth for Jesus Christ. And guess what? You have been authorized by Jesus himself to be that ambassador. Number six, I have been commanded, you have been commanded to minister. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus said, it's not an option. A non-ministering Christian is not obeying Jesus. God expects us to be like Jesus. Therefore, we have to obey him. You know, the real secret to a fulfilled life, the real secret is to find the ministry God made you for and then get right in the middle of it. That's the real secret. Number seven, I must prepare for ministry. You and I must prepare. Again, that's what discipleship's all about. Ephesians 4 says, now, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So you got, I, I'm here to equip, and therefore, that's why we do life groups, is to equip you for ministry. Now, I'll be honest with you. This verse, these two verses, 
really frightens me because what it is saying is that one day God himself will evaluate me as the pastor of this church on how well I helped to prepare you. I mean, that's pretty serious. I'll stand before God and give an account on how well I prepared you for your ministry. Hmm. And you will give an account for how well you used what God invested in you. So that's pretty serious. Now, I'm not talking about whether you get to go to heaven or not, whether you're going to be saved or not. And I, I want to save that one for the end. Number eight, the body of Christ needs your ministry, needs my ministry. First Corinthians says, all, all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is part of it. Each of you are vital to it. The body of Christ needs your giftedness, your spiritual gifts. The body of Christ needs your ministry. And if you believe you're not good enough, then you're listening to the enemy who's lying to you. If you believe, I don't have what it takes, then you're listening to the enemy who's lying to you. Because it, Satan tries to keep you from becoming a believer, but once you've made the decision to follow Christ, then what he tries to do is to keep you from being effective. And the way he keeps you from being effective is by helping you to not believe in who you are in Jesus. To attack your self-esteem, your God-given esteem, who God says you are. The body of Christ needs your ministry. There's a hole missing when you're not doing it. Number nine, you and I are accountable to holy God for our ministry. Romans 14, 12 ought to cause us all to stop in our tracks. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. There are many parables in the Bible um, that would teach this. One of the more clear ones is the parable of the talents, where he gave one guy one talent, another guy he gave five talents, another guy he gave ten talents. And then years later, he, the, the owner came back and said, what have you done with it? And uh, basically the second two guys doubled it and they were blessed. But the, fir the first guy, he only gave one talent to, he didn't do anything with it. And God, the owner there said, you're wicked and you're lazy. So my job is to help prepare you for your final, final exam as a believer, not whether you're going to go to heaven or not, 
but whether you have used what God has entrusted into you. That's your final exam. You will stand before God and he will examine what you did with what he invested in you, your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your influence. The list just goes on. Now, I'm glad we're not going to stop on a negative, but one last one. You and I will be rewarded for our ministry. Jesus in Matthew 25 says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The Bible teaches clearly that you and I were created for ministry, that we were saved for ministry, that we were called to do ministry, that we have been authorized for ministry, that we are commanded to minister, that we've been gifted to minister. He's prepared us for ministry through our pastors and our teachers. And the body of Christ needs my ministry and your ministry. And I'm accountable for that ministry so that... I'll be rewarded in heaven on the basis of that ministry. Now, again, we're not talking about salvation. You all have that. When you pray to receive Christ, that's a done deal. And going to heaven, that's that's enough in itself. But one of the things that will happen in heaven is that God will examine your life and he will give rewards based on you fulfilling his purpose and his plan for your life, not yours, not your plans. His plans. So you can be very successful with your life as far as the world's considered and have no rewards. The only one that matters in this evaluation is what God thinks. And then he, because he wants to reward you, but here's the cool thing. Here's what should motivate you so that I can take those rewards and put them back at the feet of Jesus as worship. To take whatever crown he puts on your head or my head and take them and put them back at the foot of Jesus. I want to be able to lavish gifts at the foot of Jesus as a form of worship as a form of thank you, as a form of praise. So what is your ministry? What has God called you to do? Let's pray.